I want to ask you a question this morning. What do you pray for? What makes your prayer list? If you have a prayer list, what's at the top of the list? What makes it to the most important place in your prayer time? Perhaps it's your family, right at the top. Your friends, perhaps your finances. Perhaps what tops your list is your health. Or even yourself. What if we were to sneak quietly into the Apostle Paul's room as he prayed? What would we see at the top of his list? What would he find so important that he had to pray for it? Unfortunately, we don't have an answer to that, what topped his prayer list. But we do find in this letter, the letter of Ephesians, two rather lengthy prayers in a very short amount of time. If you consider the length of these prayers and the brevity of the letter, it's quite striking. Why Paul would spend so much time, so much valuable resources and real estate reciting prayers. But he does. Primarily because prayer is important for the Christian life. In fact, one of the most fruitful studies you might ever endeavor upon would be to study the, Paul, uh, the prayers of Paul. Uh, D.A. Carson uh, has a great little book on that. I encourage you, D.A. Carson, Paul's Prayers or Prayers of Paul. Google that, find that, read that. Uh, think hard about these prayers because in them contains, I think, and Christians have thought, what we should be praying for. Sadly, for so many of us, our prayers are self-focused on immediate temporal matters. There's nothing wrong about praying for your health or your finances or your family. We should pray for those things. But how often do we pray the way we see modeled here in the letter of Ephesians? Praying that God would give us power to know him better and to live our lives as a result of it. Well, of course, Paul's been writing this letter to a church that perhaps he knew well. Paul writing to the churches in Ephesus and the surrounding area, seeking to encourage them. We have mined out many of the riches of this letter over the last few months, and it's Paul begins to transition in the letter from chapters 1 through 3 where he's laid the theological foundation of the Christian life. uh, Where he's taken us to eternity past and there saw in the mind of God his electing of certain sinners unto salvation. Where God in His grace sent His Son to die for us while we were yet in rebellion against Him. And as Paul begins to transition from these theological foundations and then the the relational aspects between 
us and God, that we've been reconciled to God. But more than that, we've been reconciled to one another. That God's plan wasn't to save one particular people group, but to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And even more glorious, unite them into a church where they would gather together and display His glory. And so as Paul shifts in chapters 1 through 3, he begins to lay forward some moral and ethical applications of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not merely truth to know or to believe, but it transforms, it changes us. The gospel shapes our lives. And so, uh, quite easily or naturally, Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6 is where Paul begins to lay out what it looks like to follow Jesus. How the gospel impacts our lives. And before he launches into that, he prays. Because for Paul, he rightly understands that one cannot truly know God nor live an obedient life apart from the Spirit's help. And so this morning, you you may have been trying to get along following Jesus on your own. Using your own power and your own strength and You're quite miserable perhaps this morning because you're struggling so hard to walk in obedience and holiness. It seems like I just can't get this right. And I wonder this morning, have you ever prayed, God, help me? Help me to know you better. Help me to walk in obedience. Help me to understand your love better. This is exactly what Paul does here in Ephesians chapter 3. I invite you to turn there if you haven't already. Page 977 in the Pew Bibles. I'm going to begin reading in verse 14 for context. We considered verses 14 and 15 two weeks ago. Thankful for our brother Rod who preached a, a great exposition last week. Two weeks ago, 14 and 15. This week, 16 through 19. Next week. 20 and 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What's Paul's point Christians need divine aid for spiritual strength that they might grow in Christ-likeness. In short, Paul prays that we need God's help to grow spiritually. So as he makes the transition from theological foundations, he doesn't leave them behind. 
But he says if you want to grow in godliness, you've got to grow to know this theological truth. These, this revelation about God. If you know Him better, if you know His love better, if you're filled with Him, then you will live better. And so often we disconnect knowledge from life. We think that we just have to try harder. You know, work at breaking those bad habits. Start new habits, good habits. That's not how the Christian life works. The Christian life begins with knowledge and is empowered by the Spirit. And so, this morning, we want to think about how we can take these prayers and shape them into our own lives for the goal of godliness. I want you to look here in the text. I'll I'll show you the outline very quickly. Paul prays three requests. There's three requests he makes. They all begin with the word that. Verse 16. That, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Verse 17, halfway through. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. And then finally, second half of verse 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul outlines three requests Christians should regularly pray for their growth in godliness. First, pray for divine power. Second, pray for divine perception, understanding. Thirdly, pray for divine perfection. So we're going to think about those three words this morning. Power, perception, and perfection. First, Paul prays that they might receive divine power. Look again at verse 16. He packs full this entire section with the word power. I pointed that out to you a few weeks ago, and I want to just point it out to you again this week. Notice how often the word power or uh, some similar phrase, strength, for example, it's a word related to power. To, To have strength means that you have the ability, you have the power. Uh, strength, uh, again in verse 17, that you would be, or verse 18 rather, that you would have the strength to comprehend, to know. So throughout, and then verses 20 and 21, he, he, he points out power. Now why? Why does Paul pack this whole thing with power? Why is it that they need divine power? Well, Paul is teaching this congregation that apart from God, They are powerless. Apart from God, they're powerless. Now, if he had not prayed this prayer, they would have thought that this power that he had taught them about, this greatness of God's power that he taught in chapters 1 and 2, that somehow it would be within their grasp that they could attain this power apart from God. And so the very fact that he prays that they would have divine power proves that they were powerless. There would be no need, really quite silly, for him to pray for divine enablement, divine power, if they could get along following Christ on their own. Well, Notice here in verse 16 and 17 why he's praying specifically for power. He's not praying that they would have this uh, power in for just power's sake, you know, that they'll be you know, really strong Christians, really spiritually robust Christians. But rather notice here 
in verse 16 and 17, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power in your inner being. In other words, Paul here is pointing out that they were to to have power to walk in obedience, the power to obey the, the commands of Christ. This point will become really clear in verse 17 as you see that Christ will will dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, before we go on to kind of thinking about why this power, I want you to notice here the basis of Paul's prayer. Notice in verse 16, he says that the basis of this prayer is according to the riches of God's glory. So Paul begins praying by appealing to the character of God. The glory here mentioned is the the sum total of all of God's attributes. In other words, Paul is appealing to God and he's saying, look, God, you are you're rich in glory. You are rich and we are poor. Throughout the letter, Paul has highlighted this very fact about God's character, that he is rich in mercy, that he is abundant in grace, that he is limitless in his glory. This means that he's calling out to God, not only that God hears prayers, but that God has the ability to act. And so often when we pray, we don't think hard that when we pray, we are praying to a God who can act, who has the power to move heaven and earth. This is why Paul will, will conclude his prayer with a doxology, with worship in verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work where? Within us. It's not our power. It's the power that he is, he's put in us by the Spirit. When we pray to God, we pray to a God who has resources readily available. It's not like going to an empty vending machine where we just hope that something will fall out. No, God is abundant. He is full of glory. Now back to the why. Why did they need this power? Why did Paul pray specifically this prayer? I mean, he could have prayed for a number of things, but he prayed specifically for this. Well, the reason comes again in verse 16, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through spirit in your inner being. Notice here, Paul kind of parallels verse 16 and 17. Through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Even in the ESV, you can see they parallel it up. It's kind of nicely in your inner being, in your hearts through faith. What Paul here is talking about is the inner man, the inner self. Uh, This is a reference to our mental, moral, and spiritual state. Our souls. Elsewhere, Paul writes concerning the inner being. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And so Paul here is pointing out that the aim of this power is divine enablement inside of us. In our thoughts, in our emotions, in our mental abilities. Now, as you look at what Paul prays, he says that he prays that this this divine power would come by the Holy Spirit indwelling us. 
And then again in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Now, is Paul praying for some second filling? I don't think so, because I'm Baptist, and I don't think that's right. If you look back to chapter 1 and verse 13, Paul says that they're already filled with the Spirit. Look at chapter 1 and verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In other words, uh, when does the baptism of the Holy Spirit occur? Well, according to verse 13, it occurs when you hear the gospel and respond to the gospel with saving faith. It doesn't happen later on. It is, it is in the same moment as salvation. And so what Paul means here is not some sort of second filling, but rather an abiding presence of the Spirit of Christ for the purpose of holiness. Notice the word that Paul uses here in verse 17. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The word dwell there doesn't mean to stop by, does it? To dwell somewhere means to settle in. So this isn't that Christ is just showing up for the first time. Hey, I'm moving in. No, it's that Christ has already moved in and he's kind of unpacking his bags. When you buy a house, you make it your own. You change the carpet or you have Chris come over and clean it. You throw out. The old furniture, you paint the walls, you take down the ugly wallpaper from the, from the 90s or beyond, right? You make it your own. And what Paul is saying here in this prayer is he's praying for the Spirit of Christ to make his home in their hearts. To unpack his bags and begin to renovate it. To begin to change our hearts, our wills, our emotions, and our very actions. To renovate our lives. And so Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would sanctify their hearts. And as a result, they would need spiritual strength of the Spirit in order to walk in holiness. You see the connection between spirit power, divine enablement, and godliness. We see also here a promise. When Jesus moves in, other things move out. And perhaps other things haven't moved out because Jesus never really moved in. Friend, I wonder this morning, do you regularly pray for the power to obey? Brothers and sisters, Do you try to obey Christ in your own power? It is quite frustrating to try to obey apart from the power of the Spirit. Do you see this promise that he gives? He says, the Spirit is here, ready to help, ready to clean up. We don't follow a God that, that just kind of says, obey me. No, our God is gracious he not only tells us to obey, then he gives us the power to obey. Uh, Paul says it this way. I work harder than anyone else, but it's not me that work. It's the spirit working in me. <clears throat> if 
Friend, I wondered, in your prayers, do you ever give attention to your own soul, to your inner being? You ever, you ever think about your inner being? You ever think about how off, awful it is? How sinful it is and how much it needs to be renovated? So we live in a culture that is so obsessed with external things. We are so obsessed with, with external beauty, appearances. We rarely think about the state of our own hearts. We will invest countless hours and energy in making this ugly thing look good. And Jesus reminds us, look, you can clean that outside, but you are still a whitewashed tomb. Man, you look amazing on the outside, but you are a rotting corpse on the inside. And so, brothers and sisters, let us give attention to our own souls. Let's remember what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, that our outer self is wasting away. We are fighting a losing battle. Fighting a losing battle. You ain't ever going to make that thing look pretty again. But there is something that can look beautiful. Paul promises that our inner self is being renewed day by day. Frankly, why give so much attention to something that's honestly going to wear out? Our souls are eternal. Let's give our attention where attention is due. Don't spend so much time and attention on your own external things and neglect your own spiritual soul. As one author, author helpfully put it, without God's riches, we are poor. Without God's spirit, we are helpless. Without, without Christ's life, we are dead. As Christians, we should regularly pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to help us in our time of need. That we might obey Christ. Well, Paul goes on in this text, not only just to pray for power, but you'll see in verses 17 through 19 to pray for perception, to pray for perception. Uh, Paul prays that they would have divine understanding, divine knowledge, more specifically, knowledge of the divine. Notice here what he writes in verse 17, that second half, you'll see the hyphen there, uh, meant to mark off the second request, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You can see here two words. First, comprehension and to know. To comprehend and to know. Paul prays that they might have divine perception. That they would know God better. But not just know facts about God or, or just general facts. But specifically, what? God's love. Twice in this verse, in ver first in verse uh, 17, then in verse 19, love is mentioned. What was the purpose of this divine knowledge? That they would know the love of God in Christ. I mean, Paul has painstakingly laid out before them in chapters 1 through 3 all about God's love for them. And he's like, hey, I don't want you to just read this letter. I want you to know this God better. Again, I want you to see that Paul begins this request, as he did the previous request, by, by having a basis. Look at verse 17 again. That you, 
being rooted and grounded in love. Paul here here uses a, a passive voice, which means that he's not speaking about their love for God, but rather God's love for them. That they have been rooted and grounded in God's love for them in Christ. In this short phrase, he's reminding them of all that he has said up to this point. In these two metaphors, uh, one uh, agricultural metaphor, rooted, and another architectural, grounded, uh, Paul here is seemingly trying to point them back to chapters 1 through 3 to remind them of God's love for them in Christ. That God's love was the roots that would nourish them. They've been rooted down, not in soil, but in God's love. And as they fed, as roots feed on the nutrients in soil, so they were to feed, their, nourish their souls on God's love. And as one builds on a firm foundation, their growth would grow on the foundation of God's love in Christ. It's what would keep them strong. What would keep them from being tossed to and fro, as he mentions in chapter 4. Well, it's really this idea of love that Paul will then build upon in the rest of the letter. For example, a couple examples you could turn to. Uh, Chapter 5, for example, in verse 2. Chapter 5, verse 2, Paul writes, And walk in love. Have your life characterized by love. Okay. Well, but not how the world loves, Paul says, but as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. In other words, one cannot be truly biblically loving others if they don't know nor have they experienced God's love for them in Christ. And as one meditates and thinks hard by divine power and enablement about God's love for them, then they will love more. Or, for example, another example, chapter 5 and verse 25, when Paul exhorts husbands, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, And gave himself up for her. Again it's this love of God. That he wants them to know. So that they will be able to live in light of it. One cannot love. If they've never been loved. And so the basis of these commands. Is the love of God in Christ. Again the fact that Paul prays. This prayer reveals. Something about us. Our inability. To grasp. God's love apart from divine aid. As Paul's description of God's love demonstrates, we can't know it all. Look again at how he describes God's love. He prays that they would have the strength to comprehend what, with all the saints, what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. In other words, uh, Paul kind of gets out the ruler and the measuring tapes, and he wants you to. He's like, I want you to know the the height of it and the depth of it. I want you to know how long it goes, and oh, I want you. I want you to know how how wide and the breadth of it. It, it, it it's ex, it's exhaustive. It's extensive. It's bottomless. Consider the depth of 
our own oceans. Scientists believe that in the deepest part of the ocean is some seven miles deep. Seven miles deep. Uh, No instrument has been created that can get down that far without being crushed under the weight of it. Uh, Consider how much attention we give to looking up at the stars at night. Galaxies, millions of light years away. The vastness of it. Boundless. Without measurement. And Paul prays that they would know the depth of God's love in Christ. That they would plumb those depths. That they would seek to know them better. You know, it's funny, as Christians, we often think that, okay, I just learned some facts, go to Sunday school, learn a few things, and I'm good. Oh, brother, sister, if you've ever talked to a mature Christian, uh, often I'll hear this statement from them, I don't know God that well at all. And I often hear this comment that, that many godly scholars, theologians, men and women who spend their life studying the Bible, studying rich and deep and hard theology, they will tell you that they know less about God today than they did when they began. That's how vast God is. How amazing His love. If one were to measure God's love, they would not be able to. Paul prays that they would know God's love for them. The love of Christ. Notice what he writes there in verse 19. It's sort of a parallel fashion. He says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's it's kind of an oxymoronic statement, isn't it? How would one know something that's not knowable? (laughs) Surpassing knowledge. I want you to know the unknowable, Paul writes. Well, that clearly indicates our need for divine aid. Paul wants us to know something that surpasses knowledge. Something that, that knowledge in and of itself could not contain. God's love in Christ. The love of Christ. Oh, it's friends, it's marvelous to consider the love of Christ. That we as sinful humanity in active rebellion against God, would would send His Son to die for our sins? The things that we've thought about here. That our God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. The the very fact that God doesn't just save sinners. It's it's wonderful. Praise God. But the fact that He says, come on home. You can live with me. In fact, I'm going to give you everything I was going to give my son. It's going to be yours just as much as it's his. Brother, sister, you've not turned your life so far away from God that he can't save. You've not sinned so great that God's love is insufficient. This passage is more than a prayer, it's a promise of the inexhaustible nature of God's love for us. There's not some proverbial line to cross where God's love ceases and His judgment begins. No, for us, in Christ, 
His love is limitless. It will never wear out. There's not going to be some day, trillions of years from now, where God's just going to say, okay, I'm kind of done with you all. See you later. That's frightening. You know, God's just going to get tired of us? Like, okay, it's just been going on long enough. No, not at all. His love continues. Friend, you are not too far from the love of God this morning. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Brother, sister, your grandchildren, your children, your family, your friends are not too far gone. The inexhaustible, surpassing knowledge of God's love propels us to share the gospel. There's not one person you are going to cross in your life ever who has sinned so heinously against God that he will not forgive them. And so we go and share. It gives us hope. But more to the point, friend, do you pray to know this love? Brother, sister, does this prayer even remotely come close to your prayer list? I pray that you would pray regularly for this prayer. That you would know that God's love surpasses knowledge. But friends, as Christians, then we must regularly pray for divine power, for divine understanding. And finally, in a kind of summary form, Paul prays for divine perfection. Uh, like stairs, this one is the final step. This is the last of the three steps. In verse 19, again, look at what Paul prays. He says that you, y'all, may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul summarizes this final request, uh, really what he requested in the first two. So if you've missed the first two, you can get caught up on the last one, he says. Uh, Pray that all the fullness of God would dwell in you. Well, this is similar to what Paul writes to the church in, Col- in Colossae. He, he ta- talking about Jesus himself. He said that for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's the exact same phrase. And now he's saying that he, that the divine might fill us the way that Christ is filled. Now, this doesn't mean that we become divine. That's not what Paul's praying but that we act divine. In other words, that we act Christ-like. This is what he wrote earlier in chapter 2 and verse 10, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What Paul here is praying is that, that this promise would become a reality in their lives, that they would... Not merely be Christians in name only, but that their lives would reflect Christ's likeness. The goal of the Christian is Christ's likeness. And so Paul prayer again reveals our inability to be Christ-like apart from divine aid. And these prayers, the very fact that they are being prayed demonstrates one's inability and need for help. We need God's help. We need to be holy as he is holy. 
And I just wonder, as a Christian, is your aim in life divine perfection? Now, I don't think the Bible teaches that we become perfect. That's not... But just because we can't become perfect in this life doesn't mean we don't aim at perfection. We don't just sit around waiting for Jesus to come and know that, that in the twinkling of the eye that we'll be transformed. No, we get on with it now. I just wonder, as a Christian, do you find it just really burdensome to follow Christ? Do you recognize here the need that we have for divine aid? Friends, this is our aim. Think just for a moment the, the enormity of this request. To be filled with the fullness of God. Notice how he describes it. Filled with all the fullness. Not just part of God. Not just part of the fullness. All the fullness of God. Friends, this is a huge ask. This is a big ask. This, this isn't God give me a new Mercedes ask. This isn't, you know, I hope I win the lottery ask. This is a, I want to be filled with God's character in my life. I, I want to be known as a godly person. I, I want people to see Christ when they see me. Nothing wrong. It's not prideful. That's a good prayer. That's a right prayer. God, when people interact with me, do they see more of God in me or more of me in me? How wonderful this thought. How humbling to consider that God would take up residence in broken vessels like us. Jars of clay, Paul says. When Paul uses that language in 2 Corinthians of broken vessels, he's basically saying your paper plates One use, throw it away. That's who you are. All broken. Good for nothing. To be used and thrown away in the trash. But that, the, that the eternal God, that the transcendent one, that the, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit would choose to dwell even in the same house with us is incredible but that the Spirit would take up residence in us. Brothers and sisters, this is meant to give us so much encouragement. That the eternal God would choose to take weak and sinful and to make it a place worthy of His presence. This is the grace of God in Christ. The love He's shown us. This is a promise that, that God has, has given us. That He will make His home with us. And so consider... In just one context, that in the midst of suffering, this promise that the Spirit is with us. That no matter where we go in this world, that, that God has chosen to, to take us, take up residence with us. Friend, in your fight against, hope, against sin, in your wrestle against the flesh, pray 
to be filled with God's character. Pray for divine perfection. Take time to regularly give yourself to praying for these matters. Let us, by God's aid, be holy as He's holy. Strive for it and pray for it in our lives. Brothers and sisters, to follow Christ requires God's help. One cannot follow Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit's aid. This is why Jesus told his disciples, yo, you don't want me to stay around. You want me to leave. Because if I don't leave, the Spirit doesn't come. And I guarantee you, you've struggled to follow me, follow me for three years. You will not be able to follow me for the rest of your life if the Spirit doesn't come and fill you with the power to obey. Brothers and sisters, may we pray regularly. May you write this prayer down. Commit it to memory. Pray this prayer regularly. I mean, if you think about or are concerned about God hearing your prayers. You're like, ah, you know, does God really hear my prayers? Perhaps one of the best things you could do is just pray God's own words back to him. God, you said this, and I'm just praying for this, these things. And then you can know that you're not doing anything wrong. You're just praying exactly what he has given you to pray for. So commit this to memory. Write it down. Use this in your daily prayer life. Every day, pray this prayer. Ask for this to see, to come to light in your own life. I'll conclude with this helpful quote from Calvin. Believers have never advanced so far as to not need further growth. In other words, uh, sanctification doesn't end until you die. So don't stop. The race isn't over. Keep going. Regardless of your age. Regardless of your fitness. Regardless of your mental abilities. Keep following Christ. Keep growing in godliness. There is nothing more sad than a senior saint giving up on the pursuit of holiness. There's nothing more sad than watching those at the end of the race stumble and fall. Keep going. Keep pressing. Calvin goes on. The highest perfection of the godly in this life is an earnest desire to make progress. This strengthening is the work of the Spirit so that it does not proceed from man's own ability. The increase as well as the commencement of every good in us comes from the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, may this be our daily prayer before the throne of grace, that God would help us to be holy as he's holy. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would help us, empower us, strengthen our souls to fight against the flesh, to walk in holiness and Christ-likeness. Father, we pray this morning that we as a congregation would know your love better. Oh, Father, that upon our lips is, is just sharing with one another how much we've learned about your love for us in Christ. And Father, we pray that you would fill us 
with all of your fullness that we might reflect your glory in this lost and dark world. It is in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.